The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome everyone. So we've moved on to the next chapter in Jack Hornfield's book, The Wise Heart, chapter 12 now for those of you who are following along. And the topic here is uh, uh, understanding the shape or the particular patterns of our personality, the, the conditioned habits of the mind. And the idea with these, these kind of models is not somehow to judge ourselves or to compare ourselves, but to more easily recognize the personality as a conditional, constructed thing. Otherwise, we're just going to take it personally. So if we have a conditioning or a habit to be defensive or to be angry or to be greedy, to be disconnected, distracted, deluded, it's so easy to take it personally. Uh, that's who I am. I'm this way. I wish I were like you. But if we, the advantage of having a name like the deluded type or the angry type or the greedy type, these are the three traditional uh, personality types in the in Buddhist psychology, is that we can then more quickly recognize, oh, this isn't me. It's the deluded type arising in this situation due to causes and conditions. And it's like this. So like anything, you know, we can use it in ways that perpetuate attachment, identification, and suffering. Or we can use these models to help illuminate what's actually going on. So that's, that's really the, the purpose here. This is a quote that Jack Kornfield has in the chapter from Krishnamurti, a well-known spiritual teacher from the last century, who said, as long as you are trying to be some, something other than what you actually are, your mind wears itself out. But if you say, this is what I am, it is a fact that I'm going to investigate and understand. And there's something about accepting, recognizing and accepting these different patterns, not as a problem to fix, but as something to better understand. The liberation or the freedom doesn't come from having to fix ourselves or to become somebody different than we are. The liberation that the Buddha taught arises through understanding the way that it is. So probably all of us, we have aspects of our personality or our habit energy, the mental habit energy that we kind of like. And maybe it's functional and skillful and we get good results from it. You know, we know how to be charming or we know how to sort of behave. You know, and then there are other strands, patterns that aren't so great. And we're hopefully careful not to activate them. And there's a certain amount of freedom that comes just in managing the different patterns of our personality. Like I avoid hanging out with these people because certain patterns arise when I'm with them. I don't like those patterns. I get in trouble with them. I hang out with these people because 
generally a different part of my personality manifests. I don't go home anymore to see my parents because when I do, this personality arises and I don't want to see that anymore. Things like that. But that's not real freedom. Real freedom is no matter whatever particular pattern that might be triggered, depending on what's around us, what we're seeing, what we're thinking, that somehow we know how to be free. So it's the perfect wave, and all of our negative patterns have gotten triggered. You know, we're rageful and defensive and needy and deluded and confused all at once, you know, the perfect storm. Wouldn't it be nice not to be confused? So just like, wouldn't it be nice if we were showing up and meeting our friend who had the perfect storm and all of their dysfunctional, neurotic habits were being triggered and being expressed? Wouldn't it be nice not to be confused, like to be able to show up and not to take whatever they might be dishing up, not to take any of it personally? but just to be able to see it for what it is. Oh, that's that pattern, that's that pattern. Oh, and it's like seeing it with wisdom. So not only are we recognizing the pattern, we're also recognizing the lawfulness of it arising. Doesn't mean it's good, doesn't mean it isn't destructive, but it means we understand it. We understand that given the conditions as they are, it couldn't be other than what it is now. This person acting in this way couldn't be other than what it is. And then the same with our own perfect way and all of the unwholesome, unskillful patterns arising, being expressed. Wouldn't it be great not to be confused by that, but to understand it? Oh, oh, this is how it is. This is the brat. This is the fearful, defensive, needy little boy. You know, this is the kind of deluded person who just is looking for cues out in the world. Please tell me who I am, what I should do, because we don't have any internal compass. So there are all these different patterns that inevitably are going to arise. And when they arise, we're either going to take it personally and then maybe hate ourselves, or we'll be so caught in it we would just blindly act it out. We'll blindly act out the rage, act out the neediness. And then, of course, leaving a trail of destruction behind us, usually, if it's truly unskillful, the pattern, then we make a mess of things. So studying these patterns of personality, these patterns of mental conditioning, is to help us partly just negotiate the territory of having a personality having different strands of a personality and learning how to uh, manage the unskillful patterns and to highlight, strengthen the skillful patterns. That it's more about, in a deeper sense, it's about being free with all of the strands of the personality, all the different patterns of the personality. Not creating suffering because of the personality. And in the Buddhist models, and we'll spend the next couple of weeks talking about them, each of the three types can be transmuted into something wholesome. So if your prominent pattern is aversion, fear, 
we're not doomed. It's really about uh, making peace with the pattern and beginning to distill or to recognize and strengthen the wholesome elements embedded in aversion. Aversion isn't, there is no such thing as pure evil. And you know, one of the nice symbols coming out of Taoism, or the symbol coming out of Taoism, most of you know that, where you have the white swoosh Nike sign. They had it first, I'm sure. And in the middle of that Nike sign is darkness or black. And then on the other side, it's all black, the swoosh. And then in the middle is a little white dot. And the idea of the Taoist symbol is that, you know, there's the opposite. In everything, there's its opposite. Or there's something pure. And so, especially this is true in the relative world. You can't push this way without pushing off of something. So we'll talk mostly about that next week. But I want to just begin this week just to help us understand these these uh, deep patterns. And they come out of what in Buddhism we call the three wholesome and three unwholesome roots. So most of you know this, but just as a review, you know, when the Buddha had his big insight, his mind cleared, what changed after that, that powerful insight under the Bodhi tree some 2,500 years ago, what changed for him was that what he saw, what he came to understand, uprooted these three unwholesome roots from his mind. That's how, in a sense, he's different than an ordinary person. Three unwholesome roots were uprooted from his mind. So what were the three unwholesome roots? The tendency towards greed, the tendency towards aversion, and the tendency to be disconnected, to not see things as they are, which we generally call delusion. So all three of these we call ignorance. Ignorance in Buddhism means that the mind isn't connected with the way that it is. And the way the mind gets disconnected is through three means. The mind gets disconnected or becomes distorted when it's under the influence of aversion. When I'm struggling to get rid of something, that agenda itself prevents the mind from connecting, seeing clearly how it is. When I have this agenda under the influence of greed, thinking that I'll be happy if only blank, you know, if only I was home in bed, if only, you know, this, if only my pain went away, that idea, that desiring, craving, distorts the mind. Thinking that I know when I don't know, you know, like a lot of times delusion or ignorance is expressed by thinking that we already know. Oh, I know what's going on. So that certainty, for example, distorts the mind. And so it perpetuates the disconnection. When we're disconnected from the way it is, all actions, all thoughts, all words flow out of that not being connected to the way it is. And so we're unskillful. Because how can 
our actions, our thoughts, our words be appropriate if we're not connected to what's going on in the moment. And so in Buddhism, that it makes so much sense then that in terms of helping, our, helping us illuminate, see more clearly the patterns of our personality, that we would look for these three roots that together make up the basic problem. The basic problem is we're misperceiving, we're not seeing things as they are because of the influence of distractedness or confusion or doubt. These are just different ways we become deluded, aversion and greed. So if we can see those patterns, then there's a possibility of not being deluded by them. Because there's a difference between being angry, identified with the anger, acting out the anger, and knowing there is anger arising. It's like night and day. Knowing that there's anger arising is a moment of mindfulness. Mindfulness is a powerfully wholesome mind state. So knowing that anger is arising in the mind and it's like this is not an unwholesome state of mind. It may be unpleasant to be mindful, mindfully aware that anger is arising and it's like this, but it's not unwholesome. Or maybe you're feeling a lot of envy or jealousy, but you're aware that there's a lot of envy or jealousy. Or maybe, you know, there's a lot of fear like, uh, I've made so many mistakes, misjudgments, and I'm going to hell. You know, I'm living a life that's going nowhere. And that kind of despairing, oh my God, what have I set in motion? And, and getting identified and lost in that despair, that's not wholesome. But being mindful, being aware, oh, there is this despair. It feels like this. That's very appropriate. That's what we would hope would arise when there is despair. The recognition, oh, there is despair, and it's like this. So here's the uh, traditional way these are described. Um, it's been talked about for a long time, but it was sort of codified in a text called the Vasudhimagga written several hundred years after the time of the Buddha, I guess over 500 years after the time of the Buddha. The Vasudhimaga means the path of purification. A person named Buddha, Buddha Gosa wrote this, and it's, uh, it's a pretty big manual of meditation and the whole sort of diversity of practices. And in there, he describes the three personality types. He says, when one of greedy temperament sees even a slightly pleasing visible object, they look long as if surprised. They seize upon trivial virtues, discount genuine faults, and when departing, they do so with regret as if unwilling to leave. I just, I mean, probably there have been certain situations that have activated that greedy pattern in the mind. You know? Or you're in a candy store, you know, as a kid, or you're uh, at the resort, or whatever it is, you know, where you just see a lot of your mind is just naturally attuned to what's beautiful, what you like, and the mind seizes on it. Oh, that's so, you know, and we're kind of tripping 
on what we like and discounting, not noticing anything else. Sometimes I frighten my wife because I can, uh, a lot of times when we're shopping or looking at properties or planning our futures, I can be this way. I can, uh, my mind can seize upon what's beautiful. And I can, I sort of trust myself because I, I, I have a much stronger pers- uh, aversive personality than I do a greedy personality. So I can kind of let my greediness run for a while because I know eventually aversiveness will overcome <laughs> my mind. But it can sort of frighten her like, oh, he's going to buy this or he's going to do this or something like that. But it's like I, I'm sort of trying out, like, how much resonance does the, the lighting have? You know, how, how long will it last? And kind of getting to the bottom of it, like, uh, letting, letting the, you know, the lighting, the desiring, it has an expansive energy, just like aversion, fear has a sort of a sinking energy. And you let it all like a castle in the sky. And then eventually, if you're, you know, if you have enough balance in mind, the whole thing will collapse. I guess I don't want to do that after all. I guess this isn't as beautiful, as wonderful as I thought after all. But it's sort of nice to, to sort of be able to not be afraid of greediness. And this is true with all three personality types. Being afraid of the pattern doesn't help. What helps is understanding, getting interested in the pattern. So that's the greedy type. When one with an angry temperament sees even a slightly displeasing visual, visible object, they avoid looking long as if they were tired. They pick out trivial faults, discount genuine virtues. When departing, they do so without regret, as if anxious to leave. You know, in speaking about partners and friends, I notice, and maybe you will too, as you start looking at these different patterns, if you're around somebody with a greedy pattern that's activated, isn't it interesting how often that alone can activate or aversive pattern, you know, just to be contrary. Or if their aversive pattern has been activated, then like we sort of fall into our greedy pattern. I don't know. Look at this is great. It's like as if it's our divine responsibility to balance things, you know. So, oh, you're you're not seeing clearly. So I'll I'll correct you by highlighting you know, the opposite of what you're seeing. Just same with deludedness. You know, when someone's sort of being confused, do you never notice how easy it is to kind of step in and want to tell them exactly what they should do, exactly who they should be? It's like we, you know, we really want to fix them and kind of clarify, like, how they should be seeing the moment, what they should be doing. So as we... As we become good students of these personality types, we, we not only want to track them in our own mind, we want to track them in especially those who are close to us. Because we're triggering each other over and over again with these three patterns, these three unskillful patterns. And of course, generally it seems that one pattern will predominate. You'll see it more often than the other two. So here's the deluded. When one of deluded temperament 
sees any sort of visible object, they copy what others do. If they hear others criticizing, they criticize. If they hear others praising, they praise. But actually, they feel equanimity in themselves. But not the equanimity of wisdom. What uh, Buddha Gosa says, the equanimity of unknowing. Right? It's like, I don't know. I don't know what's good or bad. I don't know what I should do. I don't know whether I'm being skillful or not. So there's a certain equanimity in that, but it's not the equanimity that arises from being connected. It's the equanimity of ignorance. We really don't know. So that's why the tendency of being caught in this pattern, being identified with this pattern, is to look for external cues of who we are, what we should do. In Jack Kornfield's book, he gives an example of, of how to identify these patterns and that I find is useful. And it, and it also is talked a bit about in the Vasudhimaga, but which goes on to talk about like how a deluded type, aversive type, greedy type walks, how they sleep, you know, like a deluded type, arms spread apart, off in line on their face, you know, they wake up, huh? You know, a greedy type, they, they prepare their bed, they lie in a composed, dignified manner, they awake slowly, you know, stretching, uh, aversive type, you know, with a scowl on their face, wake up hurriedly. They talk about the tradition of how you eat, you know, the different ways of eating. But in Jack Kornfield's chapter, he talks about, he gives this example, and it would be nice for us to just uh, follow along with this reflection. So let's say a good friend invites you to see their new home. You haven't seen it before, condo or whatever. So there you are walking in. and. Uh, like just, you know, and you might even imagine a friend of yours who either has or in the past had a new place or might buy a new place in the future. And like, what would your mind first see when you walk into that apartment or that condo or that house? What are you likely to notice? Are you likely to notice, you know, the one piece of furniture that seems cheaper than the other? So not noticing the few nice pieces that they have, but immediately noticing, you know, maybe this is an old piece. They didn't, they ran out of money, so they didn't get a new kitchen table, but they did get a nice sofa and coffee table and, you know, a nice piece of artwork or something. Or you, like, notice uh, the one spot on the carpet. You know, it may be a beautiful carpet, but there's a spot there. Or do you start delighting, you know? Like, how nice this one thing is. And, and a kind of an exuberance. And like, how nice it would be to have. And just that sort of tripping on that delighting. Thinking about all the, you know, the ways that it works in the room. Or are you uncertain? And like, even uncertain why you're there or what's expected of you. Or whether you like it or don't like it or what you should say. And again, different people, different situations might trigger different of these patterns. For example, if you're home, you know, with your parents, a particular pattern might be triggered that's different than when you're with your partner, different than what, uh, what happens when you're with a friend. And the thing about these personality patterns is uh, 
you know, generally, as uh, I think it may be in Jack Hornfield's chapter, he talks about this. You know, so he he compares it to the body that. A body, if we look at a body from a nice distance with soft lighting, you know, we can imagine that bodies are beautiful. But if we get up very close, you know, bodies aren't actually beautiful. You know, once we're, you know, once you get really, now I need glasses. <laughs> but, you know, when you really look, like even something relatively neutral like the arm, and you're just looking at the hair and seeing a little bit of the pores and starting to see brown spots. You know, that's not, I mean, maybe it's neutral, but it, it, it loses its pleasantness pretty quick. And then, of course, if you get even closer, it can be even disturbing. You know, any part with a magnifying glass, you know, the body isn't that pleasant. And I think even more so with the personality. I often say, and people say that it would be nice, you know, on the common ground flyer at Buddhist centers around the country, for there to be a little warning sign that, you know, beware. If you actually cultivate a more consistent, mindful presence in life, you might start noticing things you'd rather not see <laughs> in your own personality and those around you, the world itself. So uh, it is important that we take up this work and. But don't be ashamed or surprised if you start getting a little freaked out about how much greediness, how much fear and aversion, how much deludedness, distractedness, scatteredness, how much denial is active at different times every day. And basically cycling from one unwholesome pattern to another, and maybe briefly sort of having a more balanced, wholesome state of mind. Let me read a little bit from Jack Kornfeld's book before I open it up for discussion. So here's what he, a little bit of what he has to say about each of these three types. The grasping or greed temperament is constructed around desire. It is experienced as a sense of seeking, of wanting more, and of addiction. It grasps after comfort and avoids disharmony in all situations. So sometimes we know this like when we're avoiding conflict and we want to put a nice veneer, oh, it's okay. It will work out. We do this a lot in relationships, you know, that we don't want to break up, maybe because it's scary. We don't know who we are or what we'll do if we break up. So we, we just focus on what's working or what's good enough in the relationship. And then those rela other relationships, where all we see are the wrong things, you know, what's not working. He goes on, it desires fulfillment through pleasures, finding what it likes in the world of the senses. From liking, it can move quickly to craving, passion, and sensuality. Out of the roots of grasping, there arises associated states of vanity, willfulness, pride, self-centeredness, jealousy, avarice, deceit, and addiction. And then for the aversive temperament, Jack Kornfield says, the aversive temperament is constructed around judgment and rejection of experience. It has a disaffected quality that easily sees faults 
And for this temperament, problems are apparent everywhere. It is critical, quickly displeased, quarrelsome, and disparaging of many things. Its quality of aversion can give rise to states of anger, vindictiveness, haughtiness, hatred, cruelty, aggression, and the struggle to control. There's a tight-fisted and rigid quality to this temperament. And then the deluded temperament is constructed around uncertainty and confusion. People with this temperament experience not quite knowing what to do or how to relate to the world. They seek to establish ease by ignoring what is happening or through dullness or inaction. The deluded temperament gives rise to perplexity and worry, doubt, negligence, scattered thoughts, anxiety, and agitation. The deluded type can also seem easily intoxicated. So just some thoughts about how to work with this at home, and then it would be nice to hear from folks. So as I mentioned, our homework really is to just start tracking the personality. And this is a, you know, for many of us, it will be new. Normally, and it may feel a little disconcerting that, like a little awkward to be, in a sense, stepping back, where we're not stopping ourselves from interacting, but stepping back and observing as we're interacting, as we're not just interacting with other people, but just interacting with the environment. And just having a sense. And you might even, like one way to help, initially to help this sense of stepping back and just learning how to witness or observe how the mind is interacting, relating to the environment, to who you're speaking with or interacting with. It's just to ask the question, like, what pattern is arising now? What pattern is being acted out now? That might be helpful for the next few days, just to ask that question. Versive type, diluted type, greedy type. And that's it. You just kind of remember those three types. You don't need to necessarily do any more analysis. Just go back into the sort of being awake, being observing, in the observing mode. And you're really looking at the tone of our of our words, but also the tone of our actions, like that I described earlier, like even how you're walking. You know, what does that say about the personality that's being expressed now? Just how you're walking or how you're handling the dishes, how you're shutting doors. You know, is that the diluted way of shutting the door? You know, like <laughs> or or, you know, just getting into the sensuality of shutting the door. You see this, this, this happens sometimes with meditators. People really get into the practice where the greedy type, when they get into the practice, they really like walking slowly. They, they start to really like the sensuality of just that, you know, the intricacies of lifting the foot, moving the foot, placing the foot, reaching, 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 touching, touching, you know, so it, 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 you'll see it manifesting in your practice. The greedy type with the breath is a particular way. The aversive type with the breath is a particular way. You know, just the way the mind is landing 
connecting with the object of awareness or the deluded type. So if you're the deluded type a lot in your practice, you're going to notice like, what is predominant? What am I paying attention to? You know, the greedy type, wanting the exalted states, wanting calm. You know, the aversive type, just wanting to get rid of suffering. (laughs) Wanting to be done with it. So they're different, you know, have different expressions in our personality. So we want to just track it, track it through your formal sitting practice, track it through the day, track it in different environments, what personality pattern is manifesting. And every as you're tracking it, then you want to see if you can recognize it as an impersonal pattern. So again, you can prompt yourself, like just with a little bit of information. Is this personal or is this impersonal? So you don't want to just tell yourself it's impersonal. Because then we can start pretending like, oh, I'm supposed to see this as an impersonal pattern. So I'm going to pretend that it's an impersonal pattern. But just recognize, like, does it feel personal? Then investigate how that is, that it feels personal, that the anger, the greediness, the deludedness, distractedness, it feels personal. Or does it feel like an impersonal pattern, like you're not doing it. There's nobody doing the aversion. It's just there. It's like the coloring of the mind. Everything, I just notice what's wrong. Because very impersonal. I mean, one of the things about... Like in my case, um, when and I have been practicing, my wife and I have been practicing for a long time, and we're very aware of each other's personalities and patterns. And so it's, uh, it's really okay for me to be in my defensive, fearful, aversive type, because she can make fun of it and I can make fun of it. And, and there it is. And, and when generally is a, more of a deluded type, and more often a deluded type. And it's, I make fun of it all the time. Because <laughs> that's what an aversive type does with a deluded type. It notices it, right? And that gives you a sense of what a value can come out of the aversive type. That kind of clarity, that sort of penetrating wisdom. You know, in a greedy type, you know, they appreciate things. They, their tendency is to be able to appreciate things, to see what's good. And the deluded type tends to be equanimous. Wynne has a lot of equanimity. Like, she can put up with me. <laughs> takes a lot of equanimity. So, um, so we want to begin to, and especially with our friends, begin to recognize the impersonal nature, that these patterns are arising, but you're not doing them. They're arising because they have momentum, because they have like a force arising a force due to having been reinforced. We've been identified with the pattern, have taken it personally so long that it's going to keep arising for a while. But when it arises, did we do that? Did anybody do that? No. Due to certain causes and conditions, this particular pattern has arisen in the mind. And it's like this. So notice the impersonal, if you can. Notice if you're judging it in any way. Noticing the effect of that judgment or that identification. So either you're identifying it like, I don't want to be this. That's one way to identify it. Or I am this. Right? So don't think you're free just because you're rejecting it. Because in a way, you give it power by being afraid of being it. Being angry, being deluded, being greedy. 
So notice the judgment either way. Identify being it, not wanting to be it. And then, can you see anything of value in that pattern? So we're basically beginning this process of transmutation where we're seeing like the energy of aversiveness, the energy of deludedness, the energy of greediness, can it be transmuted into something wholesome? Can you see the seeds of something wholesome in the pattern itself? And, and then finally, um, what happens if you focus on those wholesome seeds, however faint, deeply embedded in the aversive pattern or the greedy pattern or the deluded pattern? So we're doing that with the pattern in our own mind and then also in people close to you. You're tracking it. You're noticing if it's personal or not. Like, are you seeing that pattern in that person as belonging to them or that they should get rid of it? You know, are you judging it, reacting to it in some way? Can you uh, see something of value in it? What happens if you focus on it? Like, what happens if I focus on Wins natural tendency towards equanimity. What does that do in the interaction? Or when she's a greedy type, you know, and I'm, I'm noticing that, and I notice her capacity to appreciate, what does that do in the interaction? Or if she's in an aversive state, and I notice her critical mind, but I'm noticing how she's able to cut through the surface and see things more deeply. That's the at the heart of the aversive type. How does that change? So this is our homework for this week, maybe for a couple of weeks. But let's take some time. There's more than 15 minutes. It would be nice to hear from people how you've noticed these three patterns arising in your lives, what you've learned already, what comes to mind, questions from the talk tonight. Well, the difference really is uh, the greedy type begins, sees what's beautiful, but it sees what's beautiful from when, when we're caught in the greedy pattern. We're seeing what's beautiful, what's delightful from the point of view of wanting. So we want it, you know, and we know we'll be happy if we have it. But there's a way to appreciate like to see something that's beautiful and the appreciation is satisfying. It doesn't depend on ownership, acquisition. You know, it's just like, like uh, for instance, right now in this room, we can be appreciating the beauty of the space itself. We can be appreciating just how nice it is that people are interested on a Wednesday night to come together like this. We can appreciate you know, the fact that we got ourselves here. Or we can, like, recognize something good about Common Ground, about the teachings, about me being here, and then set in motion a lot of craving. Like, I should come here every Wednesday night. This is the best thing. You know, if I come here every Wednesday night, I bet by October I'll be enlightened. I'll be so cool, you know? It's like, I'll be so cool, I'll be able to handle situations People will probably notice 
the sparkle in my eye and just how balanced I am, you know, and ask my advice more. So this is like when we're really caught in the greedy pattern, we're kind of building castles. The, the appreciation uh, leads into some sort of grasping, wanting things to be other than they are because it will be so nice to be perfect, to be enlightened, to be a holy one. But we can appreciate, and appreciation is, is basically a, a recognition of the beauty that exists right now in the moment. And that somehow this beauty, that the capacity to connect with beauty is already it's like we, we don't have to get anywhere. We're already there. The appreciation is already deeply satisfying. And so we can even tune into that now. right? Like, It doesn't matter if we come here every Wednesday night. It's even this moment, just being here for the next 10, 15 minutes, is just something deeply wholesome and appropriate and satisfying just about being here. And we don't need to trip out about what it could become. And it's the same thing like when we're eating something we like. We could always be thinking about, you know, oh, that nice plate I saw at my friend's house, you know. The spaghetti would look so good on it. Or, you know, whatever. Or we can simply be appreciating what it is now. And so there's a resting in appreciation, there's a resting in greed, there's a uh, restlessness. Same with, you know, you can have a real clear mind that sees things, you know, through the surface, sees deeply into things. But if the mind is restless, it starts to be critical. It's, it starts to do something with that discriminating wisdom. Yeah, why is that person that way? They should know better. You know, maybe I should tell them. Or maybe, you know, I should fix myself. As opposed to just saying, oh, this isn't, you know, this is a little off. Oh, it's like this. And kind of resting in the knowledge, resting in the clarity that you can get with that, that kind of mind that can see through the surface. Thanks, Anita, for the comment or question. Other thoughts people have? What have you noticed in the past? Often it's easier to notice than other people, of course, you know, than our own patterns. People you've worked closely with, what do you see? Yeah, Maria. Well, being a versatile, the minute you ask that question, I start, like, as another tradition would say, taking other people's inventories. Yeah. Uh, this person was this, that person was that. Oh, we had that interaction. I was this, and they were that. I'm this, and what's my sister, and what's my other sister? And, you know, it's just... I have to be careful about um, being too quick to judge, or too quick, too quick to put people in their categories and tell myself that I'm being insightful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but what you could do right in that moment is the question might arise, oh, and by the way, honey, what is this pattern I'm in right now? Yeah. Thinking about all my friends and what pattern they are. Yeah. 
oh, this is a version again. Because that's a powerful insight to see how it's like we got to keep taking a step back because the predominant patterns are going to reemerge. So even if there we are practicing, like I said earlier, we have to step back and see how the practice itself has been contaminated by our predominant patterns over and over again. And it's like even in one 30 or 45 minute sit, we can have a half dozen of those ahas. Oh, there it is again. You know, there is that aversive pattern again. Like one of the things I've noticed, I mean, it's amazing after now almost 30 years of, of regular practice, you know, I'll just like, catch myself like how my practice, which seemed to be what I was supposed to be doing, and all of a sudden I reckon, oh, it's just a version. You know, there I am. I noticed like recently in the last, you know, kind of one of the big ahas in the last year of my practice, is just seeing this very subtle tendency to want to look for pain in my practice, like in my mind or my body. It's like I feel a little lost if I don't, if I can't notice something unpleasant. <laughs> you know, and if somebody were to ask me, you know, well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just doing the Four Noble Truths, the truth of dukkha, its cause, its cessation, you know, and the path leading to the cessation. You know, I have all the justification. But what I wasn't seeing is the mind's attachment to seeing what's off. And so I really started to, re I had to remind myself to like, well, it's not just pain, you know. Like, there was just a lot of stillness and a lot of bliss just waiting to be seen. But, you know, I'm, no, forget that. <laughs> so, it's like we always have to take a step back. And so, the way to do that is just remember it's always about the present moment, like what's operating in the present moment. So, it's totally fine to notice what patterns are arising in our friend. But then when we notice it, in that moment, it should occur to us, oh, what's here now? Also, just just because a pattern is arising doesn't mean that one is fixed in that. I mean, I could be a person person today and a person tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Other thoughts people have? Any confessions? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No, no confessions. <laughs> I was just thinking this summer, um, not really so intentionally maybe, but I've been practicing at the end of the day, just checking in with my husband of how's the day gone. And so a lot of these habitual patterns have been surfacing. And I was just thinking um, how helpful it would be to have someone to check in with on these issues. Yeah. So I think that um, I'm going to read this chapter to my husband tonight or this weekend and just kind of enlist his participation yeah. together. So, or to be hanging out with our relatives in the next week. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Useful. And in general, having Dharma friends, uh, people who have the same interest as you do in the practice, is really useful. So if you're relatively new to this practice or this way of working with your mind, I recommend that you get to know some people. And we have ways to do it at the center, or you can just be brave and introduce yourself to people. But it's really helpful, especially in these kinds of ways. Because you can have, you'll notice, if you just listen to people's conversations here at the center, you'll notice people are talking about their personalities or just the kind of comments and questions people ask. 
it's so wonderful for people to be sharing about their way of being that from this impersonal point of view, like, well, this is how it is. And we don't have to be so burdened or like guilty about these patterns because we're not choosing them. They've been set in motion. And it actually can be ground for a lot of humor. <laughs> Owen, did you have a thought? Yeah. Uh, today I was at the dentist, and uh, Wolfram, I, so I got called in by the dental hygienist, and immediately I was sort of, I guess, not repulsed is kind of a strong word, but definitely kind of like, like put back by like, the physical appearance of this person. And I was like aware that it's easy to like people that we find attractive and find fault in the people that we are, do not find attractive. And and then like so but even that like still in my mind I was already like I feel in retrospect being critical. And uh, so I, like I was like kinda like just like she said some remarks to her colleagues that I felt were sort of inappropriate and like, or like they were in a way hurtful I think or they were just they just didn't put me the right way and stuff and, and uh, also just then then of course like the way she was like handling my mouth and stuff was also like all of a sudden just like too rough and like a personal like like outside is this the way this is like she's doing to all of her patients and stuff and I'm like thinking like that it would be like a good it would be like good of me or right or something and somehow I like complained or even at one point I was like building up this idea that I was you know like I honestly like, was considering how good it would feel to just be like I'm odd here you know like just stand up and be like I gotta go <laughs> what you're doing is like yeah, I'm not okay with me and stuff like I demand somebody else <laughs> And then just, I don't know, like, I was just, I just, like, that passed, and um, she was just then kind of talking to me about, like, you know, like, my teeth and what, you know, how to keep my gums healthy and whatnot. And I, I just realized that she, it felt like all of a sudden that she really actually cared about, like, how my teeth were and, that, and like, my health in general. And all of a sudden, like, the entire thing, like, perspective changed, and it was like, how wrong I would have been to even, you know, like, in, in, a, in a way already how wrong I was to, like, and be judging and wanting, it's like, you know, basically wanting for her to be fired and thinking that I would be fired for her to Yeah. So, yeah, I just definitely saw that aversive pattern. So, interesting how yeah, yeah, and you described it so well, Owen. It's really great to hear just that play-by-play, -play. and uh, and that's a really good thing to look at too. It's like, and it, and there can be good reasons to sort of let, when you're aware of it, to really let it play out a little bit. Because generally, if you don't suppress it, if you really let the aversive pattern, in this case, kind of build and express, at some point it gets ridiculous. Like, just a simple example of that, you know, I, I have sort of a controlling, aversive personality, as I mentioned, and so, like, if my wife 
doesn't put something away or is doing something that isn't right. It's like, it is so funny to see how, it's like, I just can't be in this relationship anymore. You know, but it might be something really trivial, like, you know, she left something on the chair that should be put away. But it's like, that little thing, my mind, it's sort of, like, if, I, if you let your mind expand, it's like, but she'll do it forever. And it's not, and it gets really big. And then it really feels, and then you see it, you go, oh, so I'm going to get a divorce because of it. And when you say that to yourself, you just realize, and the whole thing just implodes. You know, and then you can have, you know, like, hopefully some compassion for yourself, maybe for the other person too. But, so, uh, there is a place in these, these weeks ahead and then forever to, when you notice a pattern building, just let it go. Like if it's safe, just let it go. Let the mind spin with it and just see where it ends up. Like just notice like in, with an aversive how hateful, how mean. Like you really will want someone, you really want to kill somebody. Or like in your case, I want this person to get fired. And it's my responsibility to protect humanity. <laughs> There's time for just one more comment if somebody, yeah. Say your name. for investigation in our intimate relationships and in our relationship with what really matters, like about our spiritual practices and other <clears throat> pattern, or other places in life that are really important, to notice what patterns, personality patterns, are manifesting more often can be really important because we tend to undermine things that are very important, like important relationships. So if you can start having this conversation with your partner, or if they're not interested in it, just on your own, noticing the patterns that arise in important relationships and around things that are really important, like meditation practice or just being more awake, more mindful in life. Because it's amazing how we avoid doing what's so... I mean, that's probably the most amazing thing in the world, is how, as human beings, we can avoid doing things we know are good for us. I mean, we really know they're good for us, but we avoid doing them. Now, how can that be? I mean, I think I'll just leave it there. 
for us all to kind of investigate. Like, what personality pattern patterns are involved in us not doing Because if it's really good for us, that means it's good now. It's not like later, but it's good now. But we avoid it. Like, I see this all the time. Like, I can be nasty with my wife, or I can be really good with my wife. And it's so much more pleasant to be good, you know, and to be loving and present and affectionate. And... Uh, and so it just it makes so much sense for me, let alone for her. But why avoid it? You know, just have it. It's just have it. And if we can illuminate it, we'll be all better off. So we need to leave it here. Let's just take a few seconds. Let go of the words. Take a breath or two together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.